This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is Friday the 31st of March 2023. Coming up today, we're editing audio with Jacob Shemansky from AMI. And we're talking about artificial intelligence. Is it time to pause? You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Happy Friday, Sean Priest. Happy Friday, Stephen Scott. Now, please don't talk to me. I'm very, very busy. Oh, what are you doing now? What are you doing? Oh, something not related to work as usual. Have you got a note from your mum? <laughs> well, funny you say that, because now you just told me what the date is. I've just remembered it's her birthday tomorrow, so... I'm frantically searching through Amazon for next day delivery. So, do, uh, do you seriously wait till I tell you the date before you go and start realizing yes. that the rest of your life yes. is happening? Pretty much, yes. Okay. I am a terribly disorganized person. So, thank you. Well done. Love you, know what you, you mum. need in your life. You know what you need in your life. You need artificial intelligence. That's what you need. Oh, what a what a segue! You are a professional, sir. Why is that? Well, okay. Apparently, why are you professional, by the way? <laughs> Hang on. I feel there's an insult in there, and I'm probably right. Uh, so, look, uh, lots to talk about in this because there was a big announcement the other day, uh, an open letter, uh, which I'm assuming is an email, um, because these guys probably don't write actual letters. But uh, there was a, an open letter. Well, parchment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Faxed it over. Uh, and this is calling on AI labs, so artificial intelligence labs around the world, to pause development of large-scale AI systems, citing fears over the profound risks to society and humanity they claim the software poses. Now, this is interesting, and it's published by the nonprofit Future of Life Institute. This nonprofit notes that AI labs are currently locked in an out-of-control race, according to them, to develop and deploy machine learning systems that no one, in quotes, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or reliably control. Also in quotes, therefore we call on, and this is in the letter, uh, we call on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. This pause should be public and verifiable and include all key actors. If such a pause cannot be enacted quickly, governments should step in and institute a moratorium. Now, some of the people behind this letter are, uh, and some of the big names, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Skype's co-founder Jan Talon, uh, American politician Andrew Yang, and Elon Musk. Oh, well. Among others. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay, so this is really interesting. I mean, from these guys especially, and I think it's also important just at this point to say that Elon Musk, I think, had either a stake in or shares in OpenAI at one time and no longer does. Just saying, just putting that out there, okay? He had shares, he was involved with the company, he's now not no longer involved in it. So is this a, is this a way of slowing down OpenAI specifically? Or is it slowing down AI itself? And I think that's a, a, maybe an interesting part of this conversation. I don't know if it's entirely appropriate to have all of that without him present to answer his, his thoughts. But I think the bigger question is, is it time for us to slow things down? Now, we mentioned this yesterday. I kind of brought it up yesterday before we spoke to uh, Mike and, and Hans at, at Be My Eyes. And I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have today and a really interesting follow-on. 
considering what we talked about yesterday and the fact that GPT-4 is really driving forward what Be My Eyes in particular is able to now do. But is it all going too fast, Sean Priest? Should we slow down? Slow down, you're going too fast. This is utterly ridiculous. I'm, I'm sorry, this just reeks of uh, uh, hypocrisy for me. This isn't something they didn't know about. Okay, so what 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 are they seeing here that they're worried about? Is this all about the bottom line and, and, and certain big tech companies seeing uh, a threat when it comes to AI, to some of their services that they offer? I'm being a slightly cynical here. I just find it really interesting that this is the thing that they decide to get vocal about when there's so many other aspects of technology impacting in society that they've been totally quiet about, or in, in the other way, pushing on us. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see where the huge difference here is. What, what's so scary about AI? Well, I think there's, there's two sides to this. One is the rate in growth, which is immense. I mean, when you actually compare this. So, you know, looking at companies that have reached 100 million users, okay, ChatGPT reached 100 million users in two months. Okay. In comparison, TikTok, uh, the other global phenomenon that everyone keeps talking about, and we'll be discussing more about that on Monday, uh, they took nine months after its global launch to reach 100 million users. Instagram more than two years. And I would imagine as you go out from that and you extrapolate out when you think back Facebook, Twitter, and you go back in time with that, it would take longer for those those companies to actually achieve the number of users. So the number of people is one. The rate of growth here is incredible. Now, that could be because we're in a place now where we can connect much quicker to services. You know, when Instagram came out, there was a bit more of a slow burn. When Twitter came out, more of a slow burn. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the argument that goes into the second part, which is that it's it's about the the time that it's taking to become big, to become huge as a, as a group, as a company, whatever, in this case, OpenAI, um, and then also what its capability is. And I think that's ultimately where this is coming from. Now, I don't know if I agree entirely with this either, because I think I feel there's a lot of agendas going on here. <laughs> it seems pretty obvious in some ways. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, though, to just pause a little bit. I said yesterday that it might be a good idea for us to pause on, say, iOS or you know, Android updates, whatever it might be, you know, essentially software updates, just give it a pause, actually go back and fix some of the problems we've had before and then move forward with new features. That wouldn't be a bad idea. The argument is different here, though. The argument for pausing here is because it seems to be too intelligent and people are worried about it. And now, Mike Buckley said this yesterday. He said, look, you know, he, he's excited about the future, but there are concerns. You know, there are real concerns from a lot of people and actually, I kind of wish we'd talked to him just after the publication of this letter, because I wondered if he would have signed this. Yeah. I mean, no. you think he wouldn't, considering that his company is actively using that technology. So you think he probably wouldn't use it, or, or, or sign, I should say, sign the letter. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It. I kind yeah. of wonder, because he's also concerned. He also has a genuine concern. There is, a, there is and, and the concerns are real. I mean, I'll give you another example of this, right? So I was, I was just reading today about a feature coming potentially in GPT-5, GPT-6, whatever it might be, uh, where it's called text to video. So you could write a movie or write an idea for a movie and 
bang, it'll just create the movie for you. Actors the lot. AI avatars, AR. Why is that a bad thing? Well, that's industry stuff. Are we all talking about, all we're talking about here is employment, right? Is that, is that ah, well, that's what we're kind of important, on? right? I mean, people need jobs. But we've always had that. Any techn- technological improvement, there's always been a, a, a fallout when it comes to employment in that sector, and it's always impacted. And But the employment always shifts. There will be a different market that emerges from that that people will be employed in. So look, I do get that it is very important. But the thing is, I just don't see what what's going to happen in those six months. Are we going to come up with, yeah, you know, we got the, what was it, the four laws of robotics, you know, we can't harm a human or by inaction or action harm a human and things like that. Are we going to come up with these rules for AI or isn't it just the same? I mean, there's never going to become, uh, there's never going to be an agreement between these people about where AI should be. Should it be capped? Should it be limited to anything? And I'm sorry, what the public has access to and saying that the governments should step in if the it just, you know the developers won't you think the government aren't working on these systems way ahead already anyway i mean I just don't. <laughs> yeah. You take a lot of faith in government. I have absolutely no faith they have anything to do. No, what I'm I, saying I, I is actually think it's the opposite problem, to be honest. I don't, I don't think governments are anywhere near ready oh, to deal with what's coming. I'm telling you, if no they see idea. something, they would, they would have snapped it up and said, no, this is for us. You're not releasing this to anyone already. I've no doubt there would be. Um, are you what, kidding? What we're are seeing already kidding? is nowhere near. If that what was the, the case, has. they would have killed off social media a long time ago. If you're saying that it's for the best interests of the people. That's oh, not, not saying that, for the best interest. It's 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 the, the the you know the government always want the the cutting edge technology, and what we usually see as as consumers as the public is usually uh, you know a good five or decade. Sean, I hate, decade to, I hate to burst your bubble on this, but I had access to work in the UK for you know most of my working life when I as was at, when I worked at the RNIB. Yeah, and despite all the talk of digital first, I had to hand fill in a form to get my access to work claim paid out. I had to hand write a form that had to be sent in a letter to a processing place. I could I could copy <laughs> the letter, but I couldn't I couldn't send a copy of the letter. <laughs> That's not the same. I don't want to sound like the cliche about just imagine what the military have, but it's absolutely true. The technology that we have access to oh, is the military at least 10 is a different ballgame, yes. No, but the military that's is a... the government in most cases. And that's, that's all it comes oh, down I, to. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, you'd be careful with that one. Uh, okay. The military is not the government. <laughs> got to be careful Look, on that what, one. Eh? What it comes down to, I mean... Some yeah, countries okay. might want that, but that's that's not the case at the moment. Thankfully. Six months. What, 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 what do you want from the result of that? Because there's never going to be an agreement. You're never well, going to get everyone... Well, it restarts, it's just going to pick up pace again, right? If it's going right, this exactly. fast, it's just going to pick up pace. I want to talk about the jobs, though, because this is the thing. Everyone always says, well, what about the jobs? What jobs will go, right? So I had a look at this. Insider Magazine put out what it thinks are the 10 categories of jobs. I want you to see if you can figure these out, all right? So give me, give me some examples of what you think might be the types of jobs that are under threat from AI. Ooh, wow. Well, a lot of journalist jobs, I think, definitely. Yep, media. When it comes to writing, uh, even creatives, I think, uh, needs to be worried by that. So it says media jobs, advertising, content creation, technical writing, journalism. Analytics. I saw I saw a feature yesterday. This is actually a Chrome extension. This isn't even using AI, at least I don't think it is, uh, called Scribe. It's a Chrome extension, right, where you just basically put it into your Chrome browser, you hit record, and then you just go about your day as you would, just do whatever it is you do. And then when you hit stop, it will turn that into a full-featured 
um, technical explanation of what you've just done. You know one of those how-to guides we always want to mm-hmm. produce? It yeah. just does it like that, based on your mouse clicks, based on your keyboard tabs. You know, that's what computers can do, just just an a Chrome extension, right? And, yeah. you know, what yeah. chance have we... I mean, we, we think about, oh, let's let's do a demo. And then by the time we get around to doing it, we could have an AI do 50 demos. And that's the problem, right? So content creation for people like us, that is definitely something we need to be concerned about for sure. That's another area. Um, tech jobs, of course, coders. We always know that's a, a risk because of the nature of how AI works. We've seen that in the early uh, days of chat GPT, which was only a few months ago. Uh, computer programmers, <laughs> software engineers, data analysts. That's a lot of people. A lot of people, by the way, who we thought would have been the jobs of the future just months ago. That was the job to get into. Get into coding because the future is apps. The future is development. Now we've got technology that can do all that. An entire I, I industry bit, potentially wiped out. Can do all that, but you still need coders to check this code. If there's problems in the code, I, I think there. Look, you cannot deny there's going to be an impact. Maybe one person could do the job using AI as a tool, which would have took ten or twenty people. So there's definitely going to be an impact, but there's always going to need to be some sort of humor interact, human I, interaction. Yes, there. I th- yeah, definitely some humor as well. That's the bit that AI misses. That's, <laughs> but that's where we're okay. I mean, if you can call it humor, uh, legal industry jobs. Um, paralegals, legal legal assistants, they could all be going. Um, market research analysts, which again, these are all pretty top level jobs. Teachers, teachers. No way, no way. I'm sorry, but no. Look, this is just so heavenly concentrating on the negatives here. The positives also are absolutely amazing. What we heard about "Be My Eyes" with Hans and Mike, where. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. The positive things that exactly. can come out of AI is. Amazing. And we're, look, I'm not saying we need to stick our head in the sand and say, okay, everything's going to be fine. Of course we don't. But this whole six months, um, and we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll discuss how it's going to evolve. Well, these talks should have been happening all the way through development. I mean, you know, AI has in, in specifically chat GPT 4, right? That's the thing that seems to have really opened our eyes to say, wow, this is is the potential. And it, it's really the natural language model of ChatGPT that's shown us this the potential of AI. But AI has been going a long time. The, these rules, these limitations should have been chatted about, developed before this. I just don't understand the six months thing. Uh, you know, maybe an open letter saying, okay, here's the potential pitfalls we see to it. Can we have a discussion about this? But six months isn't going to make any difference. So back to teachers... Because you're, you're clearly dismissing that point. So teachers I across am. the country, in America that is, are worried about students using ChatGPT to cheat on their homework. Now, interestingly, this is an American viewpoint, uh, according to an associate dean in the Department of Computing and Information Sciences at Rochester Institute of Tech. Uh, they should also be thinking about job security, says the associate dean there, because obviously the fact is ChatGPT can easily teach classes already. Although it has bugs and inaccuracies in terms of knowledge. It cannot teach classes. This can I'm sorry, be that's... improved. No, Basically, cannot... you just need to train the GPT. Once you've done that, that's it. It's got the information. It doesn't have that relationship that a teacher has with students. That's, that's utter nonsense. Now, about you know homework and things like that, essays, dissertations, absolutely, there does need to be something in place there. But then again, I mean, with Google already, internet searching, isn't the fact that, you know, people can look things up without actually 
diving into it and, and learning about it anyway. You can you can buy essays and things. So that problem's already there. Admittedly, this makes things a lot harder to de- detect because it is almost a new essay written every time, but you okay. have nothing to do with it. But another, no, another teachers, category. Uh, no, teachers will not disappear. Sorry, thank you. Another category, finance jobs, finance anal- analysts. I can't say that word. Ana- analysts. 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 Yes. There we go. Let's call them that. Let's call them no. analysts. No, let's uh, never call them that. Personal financial advisors as well. Um, yeah, all of that. Traders. And I'm not talking about the guy down the market. I mean, you know, people who work on Wall Street. Do you, just, do you all think that, that that's already highly automized anyway? Uh, not anyway. Well, I think up until now, uh, there had been elements of, and I think there was definitely elements? creeping in. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was creeping in. Massive I think this elements. has moved forward now. I think we've moved forward a big way. This graphic designers. Um, so apparently three professors pointed to DALI, uh, an AI tool that can generate images in seconds and uh, say that's a potential disruptor of the graphic design industry. Upskilling millions of people in their ability to create and manipulate images will have a profound impact on the economy, they wrote, adding that these recent advances in AI will surely usher in a period of hardship and economic pain for some whose jobs are directly impacted and find it hard to adapt. Another area, accounting. Accounting is generally thought of as a fairly stable profession. Uh, Brett Carraway, who's an associate producer, uh, professor with the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology at the University of Toronto, told Global News Radio uh, last week, technology hasn't put everybody out of a job yet, but it does put some people out of a job. Carraway added that intellectual labour in particular could be threatened. This could be lawyers, accountants, he said. It's something new and will be interesting to see just how disruptful and painful uh, this is to employment and politics. And one other area, which I think, you know, when you think about a lot of these professions, you think, well, okay, up until now, you're talking about a lot of professions that do require a lot of skill. And this AI, you know, you can kind of see how that could come in and take over. What about regular people? Okay, so there's a lot of people out there who work in customer service. Customer service agents, also potentially gone. You've probably already experienced it, chatting with a Chatbot, yes, the experience is not perfect at the moment. ChatGPT related tech could continue that trend and make it better. A 2022 study from the tech research company Gartner predicted that chatbots will be the main customer service channel for roughly 25% of companies by 2027. Quarter of the industry gone to AI. And that's just in the next few years. So, look, I'm not here to terrify people although you may be terrified. But the truth is, we've got to have a conversation about it. We can't just keep sticking our head in the sand and saying, yeah, but, you know, it got that maths thing wrong or it got this wrong or, you know, that picture had six fingers. It's like, yeah, but they'll fix that. It's day one. This is day one. Bear in mind, we only started talking about this in December last year. And look where we're at today. Today, we have a list of jobs that are potentially going down the pan. And they're only only three months in. This is someone's opinion, of course. Three months in. It's interesting what they mentioned in that open letter there about uh, AI that's more advanced than ChatGPT4. Absolutely, yeah, of course. Well, they're they're all looking to GPT. Listen, the first first thing on Twitter I saw, the the trending uh, hashtag on Twitter when GPT4 was released was GPT5. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but the, <laughs> but the thing is, they seem to be all rushing to catch up, or maybe it's not catch up, but to get to the the same level of um, of recognition that ChatGPT four has got. When I say recognition, I mean to to the general public, right? Everyone's talking about ChatGPT. There's no, you know, Google's got Bard out there, but no one's really talking about that at the moment. <sighs> I don't know. Look, this again. It just and it's funny, it's, right? I have to say this on the Bard thing, on. right? People, I love when people say, "Oh, well, Bard's not that great." Yeah, again, it's day one, guys. Come on, did you ever try the very first iPhone? It was okay. It was all right. But Look would you compare it to today's? Yeah. You know, imagine where we're going to be in the same period of time. Can you imagine where we're going to be in a year? Never mind five. But Never mind sort- ten. This sort. And sort what's of- it? Sorry, let me just say this. What is this Go going on. to do? Because we have this conversation around employment a lot. And we always bring up the subject of, of blind people, disabled people getting into jobs. What chance have we got now when everyone's going to be scrambling for what's left in the, in the world that's, you know, that's left behind with all this AI taking over? What do we do? This as is, I said, this as, is seriously as, concerning. As, as certain employment genres or markets disappear, others will emerge. And I, I, this, I think this is a huge benefit to us as disabled people when it comes to finding employment. Rather than having a support worker, uh, there's another um, That's our job <laughs> there's gone. another job title gone. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not not everyone has access to them anyway. So, of course, there's negatives. Look, I'm, I'm not well, saying... Listen, we, we, I mean, a good, a good practical example of that was Ira, right? Because at first what? I had yeah. Ira and yeah. I remember thinking to myself, God, I've got a pair of working eyes I can pull out of my pocket at any given time yes. and utilise rather than having a human being next to me who I have to feed and talk to. You know, I've I can had actually terrible have this- experiences with support workers in, the t- in my time employing and often firing. I've had some horrendous experiences. So, um, so you can get rid of that. You can get Ira. Okay, so that's one thing. But you're replacing a human for another human, right? So now with Be My Eyes and AI, could you yes. potentially replace all of that with AI? And this is the question, I think, when it comes to Be My Eyes. When, when we get our hands on this beta, and I'm really looking forward to testing this out. I agree. I really want to get a, a sense of what can this actually do for me? And if I, I want to really put it through its paces and think about things that I would do, things I would call Ira for, and see if it can... No, it can't do everything. I understand that because it is image-based, right? So it can't do everything, mm-hmm. but it can do a lot. And, you know, considering we are looking at things visually... I mean, I've, I've just got to see one more very quick story. We must move on. Jacob Shemansky is joining us in just a moment to talk Sorry, all about audio. But I just want to say very quickly, uh, one of the things Mike told me off air, which I, I don't think he mentioned on the show, was that he held his phone up to the Indian railway map. Just an image of the railway map. Nothing, just just plain image. And he said, can you tell me the route from A to B? And it gave him full directions, train times, information, the lot, using Be My Eyes. Mm-hmm. That is life changing. You imagine doing that, and people have been doing this with the London in a tube positive stations. Way. Yeah, I know, absolutely. But then yes. what happens? This is the whole argument about tra- Oh, we could get into this all day. Right, look, stick around. We, we'll get into this more. And that was not enough. Right, it's look, not- we'll come back. We'll talk more about this soon. Uh, Jacob Shemansky, AMI technical producer, he's here next to talk all about audio and editing with Reaper. Stay right there. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. 
And with us today, Sean, we have uh, someone who has been in touch with us before, has been on the show before, but never live on the show before. I'm talking about AMI's own mm. Jacob Shemansky, who joins us. Jacob, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Oh, you, you were on the show. I'm listening to that voice, honestly. I know. <laughs> Such a professional. Uh, you were uh, on the show a little bit back with uh, a, a demo about Discord. And you were talking about how you were using that mm. with NVDA. That, of course, got Sean all excited because it was excellent. By the he way, uses yes. NVDA. Have you tried no, uh, Discord yet? Uh, no, I haven't got to it quite oh, yet. But it's on my it. list. It's on my list. This is what I've got to deal with, Jacob. This is every day. This no, is no, 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 no. Right? It's funny because you know, like after every article, you always saw share via Twitter or Facebook, and that so often now you're seeing come to our Discord channel. Mm. And it's something I always thought, well, it's not going to work for me with a screen reader. And of course, Jacob, you changed my world. So I'm definitely going to look into that. No, I think they deserve a shout out for making it accessible. It works Absolutely. great. Like it's, it's not intuitive, but that's just because Discord does a lot of things. And it's not intuitive for like most people. So once you wrap your head around it, it's totally usable. And it's awesome. Like It's a great way to connect with communities. It, it, there's just a lot of tools for keeping things moderated. It's not as... a uh, toxic as twitter and um oh, oh don't get me started on twitter oh don't mention we'll all day oh trigger is that a banned word <laughs> that's my trigger word it's not, it tri- it's not twitter it's trigger um <laughs> that's what they should rename it actually that would be a great name to call trigger. that network yeah, just call it the trigger network um so you work at ami you work here at uh, good old ami audio I've heard of it. I believe it's very good. And uh, what do you do there? What do you, what do, you do every what day? What do you do, what Jacob? What do you do? What is it you do? <laughs> My official title is technical producer, but that doesn't Oof. mean anything to most oh. people. Turn it off. Turn it on again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an audio editor for the most part, so I put together the reading shows that air on the AMI audio channel. So uh, that's McLean's and Voices of the Walrus. Those are shows where uh, professional readers read articles from... McLean's Magazine and uh, and the Walrus Magazine. Mm-hmm. I also co-host the Podcast Roundup, which features podcasts from the AMI Audio lineup. And actually, that one actually airs at 11 a.m. right before you guys do at 12 p.m. So that makes us broadcast neighbors. Nice well, to meet you guys. Yeah, it's lovely to meet you. Yes. Oh, if, you could just, if you could take your ball back, that would be great. Yes. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Yeah, that'd be Gorgeous. excellent. Yeah. Uh, get off my lawn. Uh, that would also be quite good as well. I think we've covered it. Um, How about you mow your lawn? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, well, you know, you don't need to do that with artificial grass. So there. <laughs> Can I just, I'm, I'm getting off this subject now. Now, being a, a technical man there, Jacob, a professional, I'm assuming, of course, like me, you, you use Audacity for all your editing needs, obviously. I don't actually. Uh, I use Reaper. Reaper. Mm. Listen to the mock outrage in his voice, Jacob. Listen to that. So mock have you always outrage. used Reaper, Jacob? Um, before I lost my sight about like four years ago, I was using uh, Audition and uh, oh. FL Studio. I mean, we know there are a million DAWs, digital audio workstations. There, there's mm. literally like dozens that are very popular. But um, Reaper, I think it's pretty fair to say, has uh, come uh, come ahead as being the best option for blind and low vision users right now. So uh, that's why I'm using it. And um, it, guys, it's super powerful. Like I have very little bad to say about Reaper, and I highly encourage anyone who's interested in audio editing that's blind and low vision to check out Reaper. There's so many resources out there too to get started. It's the thing though with me. I I, I mean, I suppose I'm. 
I think I'm out of an age. I said this the other day on the show that my brain is less spongy and more brick-like these days and probably mm. equally as mm. useful as well. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, when it comes to learning new things, sometimes it's just a bit much, especially when you've got to go through the whole thing of learning new commands, learning new approaches, because, you know, Reaper is a different world, as is Edition, as is Pro Tools, as is Logic, as is any other. Um, I Well, both Sean and I ended up on Audacity, partly because... You were on Audacity, Sean, and I thought, well, at least I Because it was free for me. And, yes. and, yeah, well, free for you, which was good. <laughs> and for me, it meant I could just get you to tell me all the answers. Um, so it worked in that way. And of course, That's because... True. And we're sharing project files and stuff, so it makes sense for us to be using the same thing. Uh, but but Reaper is, is clearly very good. Uh, now, we could obviously talk endlessly about all the capabilities that it has. Well, please but, do. No, no, I think we should start That's at the beginning. Everyone. Because, no, no, because I think a lot of people... <laughs> are just often a little bit nervous at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, when you think about this, I mean, you're obviously in a professional environment. You're in a, a job where you need to be producing all the time. You need the tools to be reliable, hence why you need something like Reaper. Uh, how did you find your way into that? And, and how was that changeover from something like Audition to something like Reaper? And also when you obviously factor in, I guess, using a screen reader with it and all the rest? Yeah, so I'm a screen reader user. I use NVDA. And for reference, I don't have any functional vision. So I, I had to move over from Audition to Reaper. Yeah. The first time I was using Reaper was actually because I was producing music. Because uh, that's where I started. And the more vision I lost, like the more I was thinking, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do music anymore. So I moved on to Reaper, which is very flexible. It can edit podcasts. It can edit music. Um, it was definitely a learning curve. But... In a way, because I was doing things low vision in other applications that had no accessibility features, very few options for uh, making font bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Making font bigger or making things uh, high contrast. Like it was really hard and I was really slow. And it got to the point where when I was editing with Reaper after being totally blind, I, I literally edit faster than I ever have, even though I have like no vision now. Oh, yeah. That is really interesting. I think that's a really important point to make, though. Well, it is. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not the same thing, but I, when I first got into using Outlook, and I think it's when you start using a screen reader, you immediately think that everything is going to be slower. No, Everything's just going to take no. longer. Because mm -hmm. you, you think about how long it's taking you to learn the screen reader, right? Now, you're, you're clearly a very techie guy, so maybe you picked this up a little bit quicker, I don't know, but I, I found, certainly felt the transition from essentially using a screen as, as close to the screen as I could, using Zoom text, using magnification, using anything I could to get into that screen. Moving away from that to using a screen reader was a very challenging experience. And then if you add on top of that, having to change, because you have to change everything. You have to think about, okay, simple things like email. And I remember doing my emails, like in 10 minutes, I could empty the inbox. I mean, you know, easy if you just do control, alt, delete, you can have it done in three seconds. But yeah. um <laughs> but honestly, I could race through my inbox and answer emails, respond, and it just made me realize how much more efficient I could be using a screen reader. So I, I totally get that. Um, but you have to you have to go through the experience to kind of understand what the other end is like. Yeah, yeah. and it can be challenging, and it can take time. But you can you definitely the rewards are there. And I think when a lot of people start losing their vision, they're they're really stuck doing things the way they used to do them. Yeah. Like, like you just have terrible posture, just leaning forward, being an inch away from your screen, doing things really slowly. Like it's hard to start doing things a different way. 
but it, it's totally worth it. Like, especially with screen readers, because the more you use them, the more you want to crank up the speed and eventually you get to listening to like a million words a minute. Yes. You're blasting through emails, like, like a massive 10 paragraph email in 10 seconds. Yeah. I think also it, it sort of really demonstrates the power of the keyboard shortcut, right? You know, everyone concentrates so much on the toolbars on all these programs when the keyboard shortcut, you know, it, it, your, your muscle memory kicks in and you can kick through a project, an audio project. You know what you're doing, you know what you want to do. And it's just those keyboard shortcuts that really just speed you through. It's, it's quite amazing. And there's always a learning curve um, to anything you do, no matter what it is. There's always that learning curve of when you first open it up and you just don't know where to start. But as you said, with Reaper in particular, I know there's so many resources out there and are targeted at screen reader users, right? It's fantastic. There's something that Reaper does that I particularly like, and that's that you can change any keyboard shortcut that you want for any action. So if you think uh, putting uh, this action at uh, control X is silly, like you can make it whatever you want. Yeah. So if there's something like an action I want to do often, I just remap it to something that makes more sense to me. And because I set that keyboard shortcut myself, I remember it so much better. So I've memorized like 50 or so keyboard shortcuts, but it feels natural because I've customized most of them. Well, it's the same with um, Audacity. We have our own little keyboard shortcuts we feel more comfortable with. And you can mm. import them and export them and share them. And it's that thing that sort of makes it your own. And that's the sort of thing that does speed you up. You know what? I think I'm going to take your number, Jacob, because uh, we really do want to try to get into Reaper. Um, but it is that slightly being nervous, especially when you've got you know deadlines to hit and whatever. It is mm. that slightly nervous feeling about, okay, I'm sort of jumping into the deep end here. And I just, just don't know where to start. Well, listen, if Audition works for you, uh, no. sorry, Audacity works for you, it works for you. Right? Audition certainly does Audition. not work for us. Let's yeah. start on Audition, actually. Isn't it an going absolute now. disgrace that it's in its position, position that it's it what? is, position that it is, I've still got toothache, don't pick on me, in the position that it is as almost a leader in the in the sector, right? And it's totally inaccessible. Don't you think that's a disgrace, Jacob? Not that I'm putting you on the spot, but it's disgusting, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. No, you're right. I have uh, no comments. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I put you on the spot. But I, I just think I, I didn't realize that J- Jacob was suddenly an Adobe spokesperson. I'm just I throwing him work. under the bus. Yeah. The, the size of Adobe, <laughs> the accessibility should be in it by now, and it's it's got it's so important to employment. I know Reaper actually is making great inroads into um, you know the professional sector when it comes to audio editing and using it as a door in you know broadcasting and things like that. So I think it's really important. I just I get so annoyed with Audition that it's got to the position that it has and it's got that reputation that it's got for being a market leader, yet it's not accessible. Oh, mute me. Carry on. Sorry. Mute yourself. And if somebody puts like a job posting and they say, oh, you need to learn, you need to use Audition. And it's like, no, I can't. I, I can't do that. But you can use Reaper. That's just as good. But because Audition has that brand recognition. Exactly. It, it kind of screws us over. Especially in the radio world. Use it. Because a lot of journalists yes. still use it in radio and a lot of broadcasters still use it. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, but it is, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot on the show about using Adobe version 3 for I don't know how many years and just kind of making it work on single track editing alone. But that wasn't ideal. I will admit, Audacity's got its flaws. I, I, I say, well, I mean, I say it's got Get its out. flaws. Okay. Uh, bye. <laughs> uh, but no, it's got its flaws. And, you know, it crashes a lot on me. I don't know why it does that. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of you know things that I'd kind of like to maybe do a bit more of. But then I also think to myself, well, what else do I need? I mean, you know, what we do with this show. I mean, you know, as you can probably tell, Jacob, as a technical producer, you can probably tell there's very little effort goes into we the editing of this show. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have to worry too much about that. You know, just throw throw everything into Audacity, you know, chuck some kind of processor over it that makes it sound half decent. And, you know, hopefully Mr. F will, you know, air it. And then that's it. We're all good. He doesn't know what he's saying, Mr. F. We put a lot of work into this. Don't listen to him. God bless you, Mr. F. Unbelievable. <laughs> but what does Reaper give me that's different? I think that's the thing. You know, what am I upgrading to if I decide to go down the route of Reaper? I mean, you say it's full of function, but what would I need if I'm literally just throwing maybe four or five audio tracks into a mix and doing some light editing and processing? What, what more do I need? Well, you do make a good point that all of these uh, digital audio workstation DAWs do pretty much all the same thing. They're very similar. If you learn one of them, it's a lot easier to learn another one. But <laughs> yeah, Reaper, yeah. Reaper is theory. definitely known for its... Yeah, in theory, <laughs> that's true. You get different ways of doing the same things, but for the most part, it all does the same thing, right? But Reaper, for its, its customize, customization ability, is amazing. Especially for low vision people, there are thousands of themes that can make it uh, a very high contrast... Um, larger icons, less clutter, um, very customizable. So if you're low vision, Reaper is for you, honestly. Um, it's uh, it's also got amazing resources online just for learning. Reaper kind of has a philosophy of um, just giving you what's bare bones with no bells and whistles. You can bring in your own bells and whistles if needed. There's not a ton of, of crap just thrown in there for no reason. When you download the installer, it's 14 megabytes. It's tiny. Wow. It's absolutely minuscule. And once it's installed, it's only like 200 megabytes on your computer and it never crashes. It's so rock solid. It's amazing. Yeah, that that is good. I must admit. I I think it's. Sorry, you go. Sorry. Can I just ask, (laughs) Jacob? Last time I tried it out. So to make it accessible, you had to install. It wasn't just a case of installing the Reaper setup.exe and that's it. You had to install that extra to make it accessible to a screen reader. Is that still the case? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that is still the case. Yeah, that is the case. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something a lot of people don't know. You have to install the Ozara extension. So that's O-S-A-R-A. That stands for the Open Source Accessibility for the Reaper application. It was developed by a guy called Jamie Tay and another team of volunteers. Jamie Tay was actually uh, one of the co-founders of NVDA. So so he knows his stuff. Yeah, 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 that's right. And um, the installer is super simple. Like it takes a second to install, and it works great, honestly. But uh, you need Ozra, or else it just w- will not work. What Ozra does, from what I understand, is it just reports back through um, through NVDA, like what's actually happening. Like you can do stuff in Reaper without Ozra, but you yes. don't know what's going on because it doesn't report back to you. It's almost like a a really highly developed and specific specific script. Right, that makes Reaper accessible to NVDA, but it also works with Jules and and, and VoiceOver on the Mac, right? It's, it's it isn't just NVDA. There is a Mac. There is a Mac it. version. Yes. Yeah, there is a Mac version. That's right. I have installed on the Mac. I mean, I haven't gone too far. I did listen, as as I've mentioned before, I listened to Garth Humphreys and his Rea producer tutorial that he did on on podcast, which I think was fantastic, brilliant piece of work he did, and. um I listened to that and I did begin the process. And for me, I, I think if, if I'm honest, Jacob, for me, I'm one of these people, I need a project to work on 
that will be realized into something, you know, rather than just me sort of mucking around and opening stuff up or importing a file and muck playing around with it, I need to be doing something that I would do. And then it clicks into place for me. So that's, right. that's on me, but something it, productive, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Cause then, cause then you learn it properly. You know, you're using it the right way, but I think because you're on the PC, Sean, and because you're on the PC with it, Jacob, I might be tempted to do it on the PC. And there's another reason for that. Because, you know, I am using the PC for pretty much everything. And one thing that I... Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, But, you know, there is... Well, maybe it is. Because, look, truthfully, you know, the one thing that's left on the Mac... I mean, there's a lot of reasons I still like the Mac. But one thing in particular that holds me to the Mac is video editing. And I believe Reaper can do that too. That's right. Though um, I'm probably not the right person to ask about this. Um, I, I know that it's possible. Well, it was lovely talking you to you, could... Jacob. Thank you yeah. so much for Bye-bye. coming on. That was Jacob. Thank yeah. you. I didn't realize. He <laughs> I didn't realize he was getting fired today. Mister F didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> you can import certain types of uh, audio files. That right. That's right. But from what I understand, you can edit it just like you would. Uh, audio. It's just there's video attached. That's to what I was files. thinking. Yeah, I was thinking it's because I think Edition and um, Premiere is it? That's the video editor, isn't it? Uh, yes. Premiere. I think it's the same kind of. Well, no, it's, it would be Edition, wouldn't it? Because you're importing the the video file. But yeah, you're right. I think it's it's that you import the the video file, but it's actually the audio you're working on, and I guess that makes it brilliant for us. Yeah, it just yeah. attaches it together. Right. Yeah. And you can export it as a video. That's the difference. For example, I can export any video file into Audacity, but all it does is strip out the video and I'm just working with the audio, which is great most of the time. But if I actually want to export it as that edited video file as well, you can't do that. But with Reaper, you can. And that's really cool because you're learning two different um, abilities there, right? You're learning your audio editing as you're going, but then you can also turn your hand to video editing if you need to. It's, it's really good. I, I am a great Audacity fan. I've been shouting about it for the longest time. Now, that has taken a little bit of a dent since the Mac Audacity uh, program has become less accessible, and it it really has, and it's a real shame. Is that right? What's broken with it? What happened? So you Uh, don't, you you no longer get, for example, much in the way back of reporting of dialogue boxes. In fact, almost nothing. You can, you know, you go into, say, normalize audio to minus 6 dB, It'll drop you into the the field to the text field, but it will never report back what's in that field. Um, you know, navigating up and down the tracks, you have to interact with the track view first, which means you can you can you can use VO up and down it to be able to navigate and hear if the track's selected or not. But in a practical sense, that's actually quite a bit of a nuisance because you're constantly interacting and uninteracting and interacting and uninteracting Welcome to be able to, to play the audio and also then <laughs> check the. Uh, check the tracks whether it's liked or not so you know that, that there's a lot of issues with it and that's just some absolutely and that's right, one so reason so you have to so you have to do a lot of workarounds yeah or just yeah. you know or, or if or you've got some or, or if you've got some vision just try and and you know set the the contrast to a level where you can see if the track's selected or not which basically involves for me if i was doing that you know selecting the whole track so that i can see if something is actually selected or not but the problem is the more tracks oh. there are the harder that becomes uh, Absolutely, and, and also you can't get to the you can't get to the context menu on the track either with oh, a voiceover. You know? No, you can't do it. You have to use oh, the mouse yeah, to do that, which is just ridiculous. Which is why but, now, but if anyone asks me, I always recommend. You know what? If you're just starting out, I used to always say Audacity because it's free, it's accessible to to the main point, or at least it used to yeah. be cross platform. But now I do recommend Reaper 
for someone that's if you're going to start out then start out with reaper because it is more popular in uh, in in the profession as well and it's just more powerful why not and when it comes to costs uh reaper is technically sixty dollars for a personal license which is not it's not much like most of the other daws cost like upwards of like two hundred dollars yes uh, but what you can do is they give you a very generous 60 day free trial which mm. is completely unlocked it's this they're not stripping away any features and once you reach that 60 day, you can just keep pressing still evaluating indefinitely. So uh, oh, wow. that's a bit of a hint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a lot of money, though, is it really? And, you know, considering some, I mean, Adobe has moved to subscription modeling. Uh, so that can be expensive and that puts a lot of people off. It certainly works for the business accessible. community. And also, yeah, forget accessibility. Totally not accessible. Have I mentioned that? Yeah, you have. Yeah. Well, thank you. And rightly so. But <laughs> um, Another I, I, thing yeah. to mention with Reaper is that when you download the installer, it's an offline installer. So if for whatever reason, the next versions aren't accessible or broken, you can just reinstall older versions that were accessible. So in that way, it's kind of, uh, it'll always be available. I do have a question though about this Osara um, software that you download, which essentially partners with it. Is that something that is run by Reaper, the, the people who've developed Reaper, or is that something that is essentially living separately because i think there's maybe a concern that the accessibility starts to wane a little bit and suddenly or at least you know maybe the production or the work that's done on osara slows down and therefore doesn't keep up with development of reaper and that could then cause an accessibility if you have you got any concerns there so that is a good point um osara is open source which means everybody can access the code and anybody can take over the mantle as the lead developer. So if for whatever reason, Jamie Tay, the develop the lead developer right now uh, needs to go, then somebody else is going to take up the mantle. Mm-hmm. And there's a big community of people who are, who are handling Ozra right now. Like there's a team of like, I think it was 15 people who have contributed code to, to Ozra at this point. Wow. But to answer your initial question, yes, it does live separate from Reaper. So Kakos is the company that creates Reaper. Kakos and um, Jamie Tay and the team of at Osara do collaborate together to make them uh, communicate as best as possible. Now it, that does kind of bring up the issue, the, the question: Why aren't these like integrated in the first place? Into mm. that, I don't know. I don't know. They really ought to be. That's something that should definitely be on the roadmap. It maybe you know maybe at the moment it doesn't make sense to do it, but I think at some point it would make sense to build mm. that in, wouldn't? It? Well, well, I yes. mean, then it becomes the responsibility of the company. To keep yeah, up I'm, the accessibility rather than depending on an open source project. To be fair, I mean, I'm ripping Adobe apart. Then aren't aren't the developers of Reaper just sort of, you know, outsourcing the accessibility responsibility to someone else? Oh, sorry. Well, I'm having an argument well, with no, myself. That's, that's an interesting point, though, because I think maybe there's an argument to say that's not a bad reason to do it. Maybe that's something Adobe should do. Because, look, you know, the, the argument nothing about us without us, right? At least we're in the room then with the company. Rather yes. than the company just saying, "Oh, look, we'll just do accessibility, and we'll we'll do it, and then you can tell us if it works or not." I'd much rather be in a position where people who are developing it know what they're doing, or hire that group of people as the accessibility department for your company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, oh, we can build a business. Wow. This is it. We can make money. <laughs> put Stephen Scott's name on it. Put the, just put the name on that. Unless it all falls apart, call it Sean Priest. Although I, I have Perfect. seen this, I, I have seen this model of uh, like a group of volunteer developers making an application accessible. Like I, I'm a big gamer 
And a lot of these games, it's mainstream games that have been made accessible by external modders. Mm. Like, like I've seen this multiple times. And this this question of the, the actual original company taking care of accessibility has come up before. And uh, I have never seen an example of a company like um, hiring these modders, these external developers to become internal members of that team to integrate accessibility. I've, I've never seen an example of that. Can I just ask you as well about video editing? Just, just I want to get your take on this. Do you think as blind people we should actually be bothered with video editing? Um, <laughs> part of me says no. <laughs> part of me says no. Let's just think about this logically, right? We're blind, <laughs> right? How good are we going to be at video editing? I mean, Don't I limit me. No, but listen. For for me, this is for me, right? I if you want to go ahead and do it, you do what you like, right? But for me, I think I. Having the TV show, I really wanted to do video editing. I really wanted to get involved because I'm one of those people. I like to just get involved in everything, right? Okay, fine. I'll make packages and I'll do this and I'll do that. And I learned, I started to learn how to use Final Cut Pro and I was getting into it. And then, you know, Mark Aflalo, who does the TV show with me, he gets the he gets the video from me and he's like, yes, fine. Can you give me the session? And he has to basically go and do it all again because, you know, there was cuts and (laughs) issues and sound issues and things that had to be dealt with, things I just couldn't access or didn't know how to deal with. And I think, and also visually, you know, you can't do jump cuts on television. So, you know, that kind of thing doesn't work so well. And it was just, it just seemed to me that I was trying to do something and I was, almost trying to be super blind. There, I said it. I was trying to be super blind. Oh, I was trying to be one of those people who was like, I can do everything. I can do it all. And actually, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think on that one, for me, no. I think leave it to the professionals. I'll, audio, yes, day and night. But when it comes to video, and even, I will say this, I, I, I would almost recommend it be that sighted people must always do video editing and only blind people should do audio editing. Because the amount of audio editors I know who are sighted... Feedback at doubletuponair.com. The amount of... You got me going now. That's saying that coffee just kicked in. Uh, but audio... You, you cited, want to make this a law? Cited audio... Yes, I want a law in the Canadian Parliament. That thing. Um, so... Um, I have met so many sighted audio editors in my life who say, oh yeah, it, it looks quiet. And I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, that gives me nuts. Well, what does it? What does it? It looks quiet. Mean? Have you not got ears? Listen, hit play. Listen to the thing. (laughs) Honestly, it drives me insane. So it's like you know, I think blind people need to all be audio editors, and all sighted people do video. There you go. Problem solved. Well done. So says Stephen Scott. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. That law will be coming into the parliament uh, immediately. (laughs) If if that exists, is that a thing? I mean, I don't know. I'll introduce it. I'll introduce it. There you for, go. For the sake of my employment. <laughs> the member of government for... Where do, where do you live? Ottawa. Ottawa. There you go. The member of government for Ottawa puts forward yes. the motion. Put forwards the bill. Perfect. Okay. There you go. Now, <laughs> Jacob, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I think, you know, we're throwing you under the bus constantly in this part. He's, he's never going to come back on you. You know that. I'm going to think... He's going be... to talk to Mr. F after this and be like, <laughs> I'm never going back on that show. Who are these I, I'm on a first name basis with that guy. I, oh, well, there you go. Oh, oh, like, oh first basis, be Mr. F eh? to us. Yeah. Um, we can't, we can't call him that. If we could have some sort... Yeah, you know, I'm thinking just a little, you know, some sort of demo of just installing Osara with uh, Reaper. I mean, it doesn't have to be an in-depth thing, but I think that would be really interesting. Particularly for me. I could, I could provide. I could do that. Oh, there we go. Yeah. That'd be amazing. 
Excellent. Well, that's something else coming. So he's a busy guy. He's got to introduce a law to Parliament and come up with a Reaper demo. <laughs> Ideally in the next week. Amazing. Um, listen, honestly, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, look, I, we've kind of skirted this topic a little bit because I, I don't want to get too geeky on it for a lot of our listeners who really maybe don't want to go down this road or are just interested in it. But I, I think what I would say is if you're getting into audio, a lot of people could, if they use PC and you're using a screen reader, you actually are, are doing yourself, you know, well to just get Audacity downloaded and try that out because I think it's a really good little editor to just get you going. And it does us fine for what we do. Yeah. But equally, if you then progress and you want to take it to the next level, maybe even, and I, I go back to this thing about the the personal versus the professional. If you're in a job, you need the tool to do the job. And in your case, obviously, Jacob, with the shows you're doing, they're timely, they need to be on air on a certain a certain time, you have deadlines, all that stuff, then you need to make sure that that program's not going to crash. I, I say this, of course, is the amount of times I've had to send a message to Mr. F saying, uh, the show's on the way, just slight technical problem. Uh, <laughs> Reboot. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I need to take my own advice. Um, but listen, thank you so much for coming on and um, come back soon, Jacob. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Listen, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, don't forget, you can keep in touch. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. Uh, and if you uh, love the show, I'm Stephen Scott. And if you yeah. hate the show... I'm Jacob. Oh, damn. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, you can also call one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven. Leave us a voicemail. Find us across social media at Double Tap on Air. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.